Analix 2.4. The master said, at age 15, I set my heart and mind upon learning. At 30, I took my place. At 40, I was no longer doubtful. From 50, I realized the propensities of Chan. From 60, my ear was attuned. From 70, I could give my heart and mind free reign without transgressing. In this intellect, we have Confucius giving a sort of autobiography of his self-cultivation. And the first thing to notice is how long it takes. It takes him his entire lifetime. There are some people out there who will supposedly learn, they'll read a few things in philosophy, and then they'll say that they are done, and they don't need to go back into it, and off they go into their career. Maybe it's computer science, maybe it's finance, maybe it's music, and they'll think that they have everything that they need to know. Some other people, they go and think that because they are studying theology, they must automatically cover the parts of virtue and morality that are important to cultivate. But really what they're doing is studying matters of a theological nature. Perhaps we're talking about in Christianity, you're discussing or thinking about the end times, or if you're a Buddhist, you're studying more about meditation and the different places of reincarnation. Perhaps you are studying these things. And the study of such things, I am not saying here that they are not valuable. Certainly, if you are a religious person, they would be, and they should be to you. But this is not necessarily self-cultivation. It is not necessarily something that will help you grow in your virtue. A lot of religious texts, uh, they cover a lot of theological matters, as they should. But what you find in these texts is that the instruction or the guidance in terms of morality is a bit sparse. And yet you have people trying to turn these texts into moral manuals. And uh, this is not the best way to go about things. There's plenty more to examine. And that's why even if you are a religious person or you're not, you should benefit greatly from studying Confucian thought. So it's important to understand that self-cultivation, developing and growing 
your virtue, developing and growing your wisdom, developing and growing your understanding of E, developing your instincts and behavior in accordance with propriety, developing your sense of beauty and elegance. This is all something that takes your entire life. There is no such thing as doing this for a while, stopping, and then you're done. That's not the correct attitude. If somebody as wise and virtuous as Confucius and dedicated as Confucius is to learning, it takes him more than 70 years. It takes him his whole life. Then don't be arrogant. Don't think that you should be just done. Truly, it takes a lifetime to cultivate oneself. And you have to work at it constantly and not take a break. When you think that you are cultivated enough and that you don't have to work at it, this is where you fall backwards. This is where you fall behind and you regress. You actually become worse because now you've reached a point of arrogance. It's worth taking, of course, a look at each stage in his life. The age 15 is an interesting one to start because this also coincides with the age typical for capping in most uh, Chinese cultures throughout history. And I say this because um, you should know that no culture is static, even those that attempt to be static, they always change over time. And so if you're talking about 2000 plus years of Chinese history, you've got a lot of dynasties coming in and out of existence, and they all have different cultures. Same thing with other Confucian influenced countries like Korea, Vietnam, uh, you have some very different culture cultures going on. Now, capping is the ceremony for recognizing that some one has become an adult, particularly, of course, men. Um, Joseph Campbell, who is an academic who looks into many different cultures and their mythology, I believe once remarked that uh, it's men who have this kind of initiation ritual and not so much women because for, for men, the transformation is more of a psychological and emotional transformation and it's less visible than the changes that women go through, uh, which of course, um, the most clear version of that is the menstruation, the, the initiation of menarche. And, um, and so that uh, the beginning of, of, of uh, menstruation is something that automatically makes it very clear there's a change. Now with, with males, that is a little different. There's some growth. There is some, um, 
physical changes, of course, but that happens far more gradually. And in any case, the psychological changes are more difficult to begin to uh, initiate. And so in any culture, or in many cultures rather, it's usually the males who go through this uh, ceremony that denotes them as adults. Whereas women, um, you might have the occasional uh, quinceanera, uh, something like that where there's a celebration um, into womanhood, but that's not as common as initiations into adulthood for the male sex. So, um, we have here a coincidence with when the age that Confucius sets his mind upon learning. And so he sets his mind upon learning at age 15. In my experience in teaching students, 15 is a pretty important year for when a person naturally takes the learning of wisdom seriously. In other words, I don't have to really encourage them so much. I don't have to really keep bringing it up. This is what you need for the future. They are naturally just simply interested. They are naturally simply interested in having adult wisdom, wisdom that will guide them into being an adult. How to have a good marriage, how to find a good spouse, how to raise children, etc. This comes naturally, even in those cultures like ours, where um, we don't give a 15-year-old responsibility for himself, not in, at least in a typically adult way. In other words, he doesn't get married, he doesn't have children, and he doesn't have finances. He might not even be able to drive, and he doesn't have a job. When we have this being the situation, then you would, one would think that there is not really a way to ensure maturity. And yet, still, 15-year-old persons naturally find interest in this. Now, there's another thing that happens at this age, which is uh, that young persons have finished going through puberty. Now, of course, um, not everybody is done growing tall by age 15, but this hormonal change has taken place, and the hormones that are produced also shape the brain. It changes the brain to be more that of an adult. And so this comes out of some very obvious ways such as the interest in the opposite sex, uh, such as um, more vivid emotions. And so part of this is that the brain also, this is, a, this is more subtle to pick up on, the brain is more capable of thinking abstractly. And with all of these biological changes taking place, 
it makes sense for the person to take the study of wisdom more seriously. So here we have Confucius, he is at 15, and now he dedicates himself to learning. He sets his mind and heart upon learning. Mind and heart is a tr translation of the word Xin, and that is a single term that refers to both the mind and the heart. In the modern West, we consider intellectual mental activity as being distinct from the heart, emotional and emotions and values. But in general Chinese philosophy and the philosophy of not only the Chinese but many other cultures, these two faculties are not considered to come from separate organs. And by organ, I don't mean you know literal biological organs. I mean um, more figurative. Uh, I mean this more figuratively. So they come from the same organ. The mind, the activities of the mind and the activities of the heart are not separable. They're not easily separable. So you could think about your ability to do math, and that's different from your ability to shed tears to beautiful music. But for the most part, it does make sense to see these as integrated. In other words, the way that you feel about somebody affects your judgment about whether they are good or not, smart or not, trustworthy or not. And vice versa, if you start to, if you, um, if you analyze something as good, you start to feel positively towards that thing. And if you analyze something as bad, you feel negatively towards that thing. So the thoughts and the feelings are very intimate and very much integrated with each other. So that explains this idea of the Shin, heart, and mind. Let's go to the next age. 15 years later, at around age 30, Confucius takes his place. Another translation is he takes a stand. And what does this mean? Uh, there's a few ways to understand this part. Taking your place means you know where you are in society. And obviously it doesn't take Confucius to the age of 30 to figure out what his socioeconomic status is. This is not what he's really talking about. What he's talking about is more like taking your stand, uh, knowing what to defend, what not to defend. In a sense, you could also think of this as knowing what direction to walk towards, where his life journey, what direction to put his life journey towards. Is he going north? Is he going south? Is he going up the mountain? So since 15, when he can start to understand wisdom and therefore learn it, it takes him 15 years to be able to take a stand to know what direction in life to take. What direction in life to take. It takes another 10 years to get to 40 where he is no longer doubtful. In other words, there's no more confusion about at least um, fundamental things. He's still learning, but there's not this great confusion. There's no more quandary. 
he, he's not thinking, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I have done this? Should I have done this? It's far more clear to him. So at 40, he becomes free of doubts or um, another way to translate this idea is confusion. There are, by the way, many different other analogs in the future that th these ideas tie to. Um, but for the purposes of our lecture series, this is just an introduction to these ideas, a more to understand this on a fundamental basis. So I don't want to go into particular um, parts that you can say, oh, this is where he uses this phrase, and later on, and book 20, he uses this phrase again. It's not important here. At 50, he understands the propensities of heaven, or what is the original is Tianming. Another way to understand this or translate this is also mandate of heaven. The mandate of heaven is a term that is most famously associated with Mencius, and he uses this in the political sense. The mandate of heaven is given to the person who is virtuous enough to rule. So just because you're born the emperor's son and then you become emperor when your father passes does not mean you automatically have the mandate of heaven, according to Mencius. And of course, this idea makes certain monarchs a little nervous. Uh, the idea here is that heaven sees and hears as the people do and so your treatment of the people the multitudes is something that gives your reign authoritativeness otherwise you simply just become a man who has power and therefore not a man of virtue necessarily so realizing the mandate of heaven or the propensity of Tian, however you want to understand this, this has to do with Confucius's ability to look at society, look at the people who are leading it, and start to understand what is to come next. Are we going to have a harmonious and beautiful civilization or society, or are we going even further into collapse, into decline, into degeneracy. What is happening? This is what he starts to realize. Now, from 60, his ear was attuned, presumably again, to, um, to Tian, heaven, or simply just generally to society. Again, if we go back to this idea that heaven sees and hears as the people do, this certainly would make some sense. So he, so Confucius has become sensitive to these indications, these clues out there in the world, and he can begin to understand what is to come even more clearly. Now, 70. He can now give his shin, his heart and mind, free reign without transgressing. Sometimes some translations have this as transgressing propriety. Uh, 
But here we have finally at the age of 70 after, uh, what is this, 55 years of very dedicated, very enthusiastic and sincere cultivation. After all this earnest and eager work, by 70, he can now give his heart and mind free reign without transgressing. He could follow his desires without transgressing what is, into what is wrong or what is improper. So there's a number of things to say here. One, it takes a lifetime of effort to get to this point. It's not something that you're just born basically a good person, like your parents might think of you. And basically, you'll figure out how to make life work. This is not how it works. And so, be prepared to make many more mistakes in your life. And furthermore, be prepared to learn assiduously wisdom. Cultivate yourself. Take yourself to task. Don't waste time. Don't waste time on things like video game or drinking alcohol. Even money, the accumulation of money, especially beyond a certain point, is really not important. What's important is your virtue, and what's important is because Ren, as I've said before, combines two words, the, the word for person, or the character for person, and the character for two. In order to be Ren, you have to cultivate your relations. So that is more important than money. Family obviously is more important than money. Friendship is also more important than money. Your student teacher relation is more important. Your relations with extended family members, with neighbors, those are more important. Now you do owe different things to different people. So what you owe your family, you're not going to owe strangers and you're not going to owe, your, owe to your neighbors, what you owe to your father, what you owe to your mother, what you owe to your children. But it, overall, these things are more important than money, your virtue, your righteousness. That is more important than money. So it takes you 70 years to get to this point. We're just, we're not all born, none of us are born simply good. We have to truly work at this. The other thing to speak of here regarding this last part is what does this mean? And it's interesting to me because uh, if you look at say, the concept of original sin in Christianity, there's many ways to look at the notion of original sin. So this is something of a tangent, especially if you're not Christian and you don't really uh, concern yourself with, with um, notions like original sin. But the idea of original sin is that you are born sinful. Now, what, is it, what exactly does this mean? You could look at this a few ways. One is... You're born with the desires to do evil. That's one. 
Another way to look at this, which is not mutually exclusive, is that you have a history of sin. You know, to say that all people are sinful, everybody has committed sins before. Um, and then number three is you can never get rid of your desire to do or be evil. At least not until you're baptized and resurrected and so forth. Now, none of, none of these three propositions are mutually exclusive, um, but only the third is something that is mutually exclusive with what Confucius says. So Confucius is not saying necessarily that, um, he's, certainly, he's certainly not saying that he was born with no desires to do wrong, because again, it takes him until 70 before he can simply follow his desires and not do wrong. And obviously he believes that he was, um, you know, before he was 70, he was tempted to do wrong things. What about the second one, that uh, the history of sin, um, you know, again, I think uh, Confucius would not disagree that he's done some things that are wrong or at least improper. The last thing, though, is contradicted by what Confucius says. Um, can you can a person get to a point where his desires are naturally not evil? And uh, again, this is after 55 years of very hard work that he's put into. But according to what this is here, um, it seems to be possible. So that's a little bit of a side note. If you are Christian, you probably found that interesting. Overall, let's look at this whole passage in 2.4. Confucius is working very diligently from age 15. And we see in the later Analects, he talks about how much he loves learning and he's dedicated. He doesn't believe he has natural talent, but what he does have is this love of learning and he, he's willing to work hard. So since 15, he's learning and you, no matter how young you are, even if you're 15, it's not too early to start. It's not early at all. If you have children and they start to reach the age of 14, 15, well, this is where they should be starting. And if they aren't starting, they're not gonna have a very moral life. People who are interested in learning wisdom at 15 are the ones who are going to be virtuous at a later age. Those who do not care too much about it, they won't be. So at 15, you want to make sure that your children start to learn wisdom, that they start to develop a love for learning wisdom by age 15. It takes another 50, 15 years to have this sense of direction you know what place to take. And then at 40, this is where Confucius, he doesn't have these major doubts anymore, but he's still not done. At 50, he starts to be able to understand the nature of heaven. And we haven't really had time actually to talk about what heaven is. There's uh, 
So I suppose this is a good time as any. Chen is a word for heaven, and uh, or at least was translated heaven. It's not a place, but it has some attributes of a person. So in the um, Abrahamic religions, we have God, and he is a person. He has a will. He speaks, at least to certain people, and he has plans. And he will break the laws of normal physics in order to do what he wishes. But what about Chan? Does that work the same way? Not quite. And so one way to understand Chan, and if you look at um, the introductory section in the Ames and Rosemont translation, what you will find is a version of Chan that is kind of to, uh, forgive the pop culture reference, but it's sort of like the Force in Star Wars. And so what they say is that um, heaven is something along the lines of something along the lines of uh, how the world is uh, closer to nature, the idea of nature. Um, they even say Tian is both creator and creation. There's no distinction between the order itself and what order is it. So it's kind of like what Yoda says about the force is everywhere um, and uh, it pervades everything and all living things are manifestations of it. I forget exactly what he's, uh, what Yoda says, but um, this is not something that really quite has a, a personhood or a willpower. It's really something that is part of nature, how nature works. Now, I'm not saying that that aspect is wrong, but I disagree that Confucius conceives of Tian in, in just only, in only those terms. Because there are parts later on where Confucius will say, Tian has abandoned me. That implies some sort of willpower or some sort of will. Uh, there's another part where he says, what can this person who might kill him uh, what can he do to him? Because Tian has raised him, Confucius. Um, and so the notion of Tian seemingly has a will. And certainly mentions if he's talking about the mandate of heaven, um, we get into sort of this, this, uh, this unclear area as well as to, does Mencius seem to believe that Tian has a will? So I don't quite agree with Rosemont and Ames here, but I do think part of Tian, um, it probably they're correct at, at least to part of what Tian is, that it is sort of a, a nature, um, possibly. When we get to Shenzhou, Shenzhou also has interesting things to say about heaven. Uh, his notion of Tian, it, Tian doesn't really have a willpower, um, which is very interesting. And Tian is more like this idea of nature. So, um, this is pretty ambiguous, and uh, so it's not really, you know, conclusively clear. My understanding of history is that most Confucian scholars throughout history have interpreted Tian as not having a will, 
but uh, this would um, be very hard to figure out. You know, you know, try to characterize 2,000 plus years of Confucian scholarship and their beliefs on Tian. What we can understand is that the Junzi, the virtuous person, is not motivated by rewards from God. He's not motivated by the idea of getting into a perfect place called heaven. He is not motivated by uh, trying to flatter God to get what he wants, uh, materially speaking, on earth. The Junza is going to act and behave the same way whether or not there is a God or whether or not you can prove that there is a God or there is no God to him. And that's what makes the Junza special and that's what makes Confucian thought philosophical more than the, I wouldn't characterize it as a religion, let me put it that way. And it's what makes Ru philosophy so noble is that it is concerned with virtue for its own sake. Okay, so anyways, Confucius realizes the propensities of Tian, what Tian is like, and then from 60, his ear is attuned, so he can more carefully pick up on some very small, subtle signals. Um, and what's also interesting is that Confucius does not talk too much about Tian itself, um, about this, uh, his understanding of Tian. So it is perhaps ineffable. Perhaps he believes it's not something that you can really put into words. Perhaps it's also because um, he does. He believes he he says he does not have any special knowledge. Okay, so what he is doing is propensity of Chan is not he's a he's not being a prophet. I want to make that clear. He doesn't believe himself to be a prophet. Um, but what he's doing is uh, like many people attempt today. They look at society. They pay attention to the quote unquote news, um, which I you know you should always be skeptical about the news. These reporters are not most of them are fairly lazy and they're not really truly dedicated to truth and anyways but they look around they pick up on these clues these signals and they think well i think we're going to head towards a recession or they they think oh i think you know they come with some idea like the singularity that's probably some more similar um confucius is not necessarily concerned with um his financial portfolio, if he had something like that back then. But what he's looking at is more, is this culture getting worse or is it going to improve? Um, is this state going to go to war or perhaps be conquered or collapse? This is what he is paying attention to. Uh, so when he's talking about the propensity of Chan, he's not trying to read the mind of God or he's not you know, prophesizing. Um, what he's doing is he is paying attention. Okay, so by 60, he gets much better at that. At 70, this is the real character development. This is a huge accomplishment, a great accomplishment for human beings. What is accomplishment? It's not taking over territory like your Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan. It is not amassing billions of dollars and having unprecedented wealth. It is not about having great power. And it's not even about leaving a lasting reputation. What is 
important, what is valuable is your virtue. You only have one life to live and eventually everybody will forget about you. Eventually somebody will have more land. Eventually somebody will make more money. These things don't matter. These things aren't important. The most important thing to you is what kind of person you are. Are you proud of this person truly deeply inside? And did you live a life of beauty? And this is what it means to be on the virtuous path.